Hey there, and welcome to the Graceland Moments podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Brown, and today you have quite a treat. Uh, I am joined <laughs> with Pastor Nate, and if you're watching this uh, through Facebook, you see a lot more faces than you normally. In fact, you might not even recognize this room unless you've been with, with us since the beginning, because we actually used to record right. in this room. Yeah. Um, but we are going to do something today that it's I've, never been done. It's ever. never. Well, listen, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've right. never heard someone do it like this. That's right. And maybe we're going to find out today why. Cutting edge. Hopefully That's not. <laughs> We're not really sure how this is going to go, but we're excited um, for this Graceland Moments experience is what we're going to call this. We just rounded out our parenting series where we talked uh, to a lot of parents on on parenting tips and that we're closing that out. And we're actually closing 22, 2021. Whoa, I'm jumping ahead mm. with this Graceland Moments experience. So why this is special is because um, of all the people in the room, which are youth students right here at Graceland Church, who have posed some questions to be answered. I'm not really sure what this is going to be titled, but something along the lines of what teens are asking today. And we're just excited to have everybody. So we have some uh, questions that Pastor Nate's going to be fielding. And because the the youth, is, they're taking my job. Normally, I ask the questions. I'm just going to sit here and, and be a face. If I don't answer it satisfactory, you're going to Right. Out. I'm going to okay. lean in. Great. And I'm going to get you. Let's do it. Just kidding. Um, so we do have some students who will be posing those questions. And then Pastor Nate is going to answer them with a little bit of dialogue. And then we'll move on. And we're probably not going to get to them all because Nate's a little long-winded. It's true. I received that. Um, but we're excited. So Shut if up. you are... Not you, him. <laughs> if you are uh, listening to us for the first time, just know that this is this is not typical, but we have to do this again because this is really, it, it's fun and we haven't even begun. That's right. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Uh, we have our first question. Is this on? Take it away. All right. Good morning, guys. Uh, you know, it's pretty cool privilege. Um, I'm Caleb Roy. I'm in 11th grade. A uh, couple shout outs, especially Miss Jenny, Pastor Nate, appreciate you guys, Cameron. 11th grade guys, you know. Um, so, yeah, this is a cool opportunity. Um, and our first question starts off with, how was the Bible written? And as uh, she said, Nate does go a little bit longer than some might expect, but we appreciate it. Take it away. By the way, I'm glad it's, you are in the hot seat. Yeah. And not me. Yeah. So good luck. So um, I, I, it's be difficult. I'd love for there to be a little audience participation, but since I've got a mic, Gene's got a mic. So um, why, why was the Bible written? I would, I would ask that first. The Bible was written because when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, um, God who made the heavens and the earth um, and everything that is in it, he's made you, he's made me, delights to reveal himself, okay? He delights to reveal himself, to disclose who he is. Uh, he takes joy in us knowing him. So how, how was the Bible written? First, I want to talk about purpose. Um, he delights in knowing who, you know, us knowing who he is. How was the Bible written? Um, oftentimes, I think that question is a smokescreen. So are we asking it in trust? Are we asking it with the posture of, I, I really generally want to know? I'll, oftentimes, teenagers, and not just teenagers, uh, adults of all ages ask that question because they're trying to stump and there's really not a posture of trust and they don't, they don't genuinely want to know. So um, there's lots of different theories, and I won't get into all the technical theories of um, perspectives about how the Bible was written. But but the one that I believe, and I'll just I'll give you the, I'll give you the, the theory of it is called verbal plenary theory. Say it with me: verbal, verbal plenary, plenary theory. theory. And here's what it means: it, it asserts dual authorship. So who wrote the Bible, God or hum, humankind? 
Yes, as Cameron Fathauer said. Who wrote the Bible? God, I mean, the answer is is yes. And so it's not, and this is where I think maybe um, we have said, and I don't think this is very helpful. We've said things like, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's not very satisfactory for a lot of people, right? We, we want to know, we want to know why. So it's not as if, um, and so who wrote the Bible? God, a man, yes. It's not as if um, uh, Caleb, who, Caleb Roy, who asked the question, Caleb went into, if he was one of the biblical authors, uh, he went into some type of mysterious trance and God overcame his emotions and his affections and his will and his desires and thoughts. And then Caleb woke up and said, oh, let's see what God wrote down. Here it is. It's in the book of Philemon. Um, God somehow in his kindness and sovereignty and transcendence did not superimpose humanity's will, but he worked alongside their will to actually write down exactly what he wanted to say. Um, a lot of the Bible, um, if you go to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, um, um, Luke writes to who? Who does Luke write to? Theoph Theophilus. What's the second volume of Luke? Acts. Acts. Luke and Acts go together. Luke's profession was what? Doctor. Luke was a doctor, right? I mean, and so if you've been to the doctor, you probably have. They need to go to school. They need to be educated, right? There's a right way to do things. There's a wrong way to do things. And so what Luke writes in Luke verses 1 through 4 of, of, of the gospel, the third book in the New Testament, he actually writes on, I've, I've examined these claims. I've evaluated the propositions. I've interviewed people. I've, have, I've had eyewitnesses. And he's writing down to a most excellent Theophilus a way to actually convince him of the veracity, the truthfulness of what he's written down. The Bible is a record of God saying, God saying, God saying, God saying. And a lot of the biblical authors are writing things down that there's no way that they would even know what actually would come to fulfillment. So they don't even sometimes realize what they're writing. We look back through into history and realize, wow, that's that's what that meant. A lot of the Bible, and I'll, and I'll move on, but a lot of the Bible also is is written for is situational literature. You know what I mean by that? No, please explain. Okay. So thank you. You're wow. welcome. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that sounded what, very What I mean by situational literature is that like like the letters, um, Paul's letters, are written for a particular group of people, right? There's an audience who are going through particular struggles. So when you open up your phone and you and you send a, a text message, Hannah Mings, to across the room to somebody, I know you just did, um, and just kidding, um, you, there's a particular audience, there's something that's going on in that relationship, and you're typing something that's germane to the situation at hand. That's a lot of what the Bible is. It's situational literature, and it's different literature, so you interpret various books of the Bible in different ways. Up until the 17th century, everything I just said, people actually took as gospel truth. If you claim to be a Christian, you believe the Bible was true and right, and uh, you didn't doubt it. But what happened around the 17th century in the world? The printing press? The printing press was a little before that. Okay. Get your history right, Jenny. I, I know, you're looking at me, who, but I, I'm not as smart as these Who invented people? the printing press? Gutenberg. Gutenberg. Let's say it again. Gutenberg. <laughs> Isn't that a fun name? What happened around the 17th century? The Enlightenment. What, what did the Enlightenment do? 
uh, it was Caleb and Jenny Nate. Now we have this mind and the age of reason. And when we were formerly, we had a posture of trust and belief and confidence in the Bible. Now human reason took over and we began to doubt and have skepticism. And so they did not approach the Bible with this, oh, it, it's true and right. And so they, they doubted. This, this can't be true. This can't be right. And I would say, well, well why? So how was the Bible written? The Bible is written by God and man without superimposing and violating their will. He preserved exactly what he wanted to write down. So much so that we have about 99% accuracy of everything that you read in your translations. You have word-for-word translations and phrase-for-phrase translations. Anybody know one of the translations that's phrase-for-phrase? The message is actually a commentary. It's more like a, it's actually, the message wouldn't even be a, a, an actual Bible translation. It's actually like a commentary. It's an interpretation. You have the NIV, which would be a phrase for phrase, the ESV, the New American Standard, the King James, the Christian Standard. Those are all word for word based upon the original documents of what languages? Greek. Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of, a little bit of Aramaic. And so with about 99% accuracy, we actually have what you're reading written down from artifacts and papyri and manuscripts, which is unlike any other um, document in, in history. So how is the Bible written? God and man, we can talk more about that. But since I'm long-winded, we're gonna, yeah. we'll move on. I just want to, I'm always blown away when I'm around students and how smart they are. I mean, I know Cameron's right here. He's smart too. Um, but you all are really smart. I, can, I just Can yeah. I say this one more thing? Sure. I... I don't think for a minute everybody in the room would say, I believe the Bible cover to cover, and I have no angst, no questions. I've got some doubt. I love what Jesus did with uh, a guy whose daughter was was sick, and Jesus said, have faith, and what did, what did the guy say? I have faith, but help me in my... Disbelief. Help me in my unbelief. So I think in all of us, there's a measure of, of struggle. And I want you to I want you to know it's okay. If you're going to struggle, one of the things you shouldn't do, you shouldn't struggle with other strugglers and just have a cohort of strugglers. <laughs> like <laughs> you need to be around men and women that love Jesus, that you can have a safe place where you can ask questions. He or she who isolate themselves breaks out from all sound judgment. You can't make good godly decisions on an island. So you need each other and you need people like a Brian Jackson and a Cassandra who can actually speak into your life and help you walk through questions to where you will not be shamed when you have questions because we all do, right? So find somebody that you trust. I think it's important to you know, when, when we think of like scripture memorization, it was so good, right? If your Bible was taken from you and you weren't allowed it back, as is in many countries, do you have the word hidden in your heart? Memorization is awesome. Yeah. Bible study is awesome. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, you've got to get in. You've got why. The thing I love about what you just said is that when you read Luke and you read Matthew, you can hear Luke and Matthew with what God said. Mm-hmm. You know, he lets them be who they are, a doctor writing to a patron, a, uh, you know, a tax collector. Um, but still it is, it is God's words. And I think that's awesome. So yeah. keep studying your Bibles, but it's important to know who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they wrote, wrote, who they were wrote to, who they were wrote to. You need to, and you need to stay in school. So you have great, great grammar. You, <laughs> yes, need, you need to you. stay in school. So. All right. Good question. All right. Next up. Hi, Nate and Jenny. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, my name is Maddie, and Maddie, I am in 10th grade. 
And I would like to give a shout out to Hannah and Aaron for being my group leaders. What? What? what, what? Um, what is the best way to start a conversation with a non-believer? Yeah. So one, um, Maddie and others, I hope that you actually have non-Christian friends. And I'm sure there are non-Christians in the room. If I can just say this before I answer the question, Maddie, it burdens me big time um, that we should see much more fruit in our church than what we do. You guys have influence on social media and with your with your peers and your classrooms. And God did not save you to sit on your holy butt to not be engaged with lostness. And um, we become gospel ghettos and holy huddles. I'm trying to think of other ways I could I've never heard gospel ghetto, but but I've heard the holy huddle. I want to encourage you to think about lostness. So what's the best way to start a conversation with someone who's who's not a Christian or you're not sure where they stand? Pastor Larry mentioned this, I think it was October 14th, maybe 21st, in the Share Hope series. He talked about fire, and the sermon was fire. But he talked about an acronym fire, and he talked about family, interest, uh, religious background, uh, and then exploratory questions. Before you before you get into a conversation, we, we want to have conversations, right, Maddie? So we don't we don't want there we don't want it to be a monologue. Have you ever talked to somebody? And maybe you've been this person when you you just learn maybe an evangelistic method or you you are walking with Christ and you got somebody who doesn't know Jesus and you just kind of like you're a fire hydrant and you just spew on them and it's like one side and you've not given them a chance to talk. That's not a relationship and that's not what you see in Jesus. Jesus was masterful when he would interact and engage with people and he never interacted with people the same way. Like John 4, the woman at and the, the Samaritan woman, she was uh, she was a loose woman. She was a prostitute. She had slept with many men. She had a reputation. And what did Jesus do? He interacted with her, had a conversation, asked her for water. It was like he's honoring her, esteeming her. And then in, later in the conversation, he he leaned in, but he, he established rapport. The rich young ruler, different way. So it's it's a it's a dialogue, not a monologue. But I love what Larry said: family, interest. Uh, religious background, um, and uh, exploratory questions. So here's some other things that I would do, Maddie and others. Be a good asker of questions. So you guys know this of me. If you know know anything of me, I'll ask, hey, how, how are you doing? And you'll say, I'm good. And then I say what? Why are you good? Why? Like, tell me why. Don't blow me off. Don't be dismissive. Don't just try to get out of the conversation and say, I'm good. I want to know why you're good. And oftentimes when you tell me you're good and I follow up with a question and I ask, why are you good? You're like, uh, I'm actually not good. It's been kind of a crappy week. Or I don't really know how I am. And you 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 want to think. So um, a good conversation is our, our dialogues, not monologues. Be a good ask for questions. Practice hospitality. A lot of you are driving. Go, go grab a meal, grab a cup of coffee, hang out, engage, leverage social media, um, share your story. And I do think it's appropriate and uh, at times to talk about issues of, of, of death and morality and human nature and goodness. And you don't always have to know the answer to their questions. So it's a, it's a dialogue, not a monologue, which by the way, 
I try, to, I try to model that even when I preach so that I'm not just, even though preaching is more of a monologue, I don't want it to be where you're just passive. I'll do things like, hey, on a scale of one to 10, assess yourself. Hey, what would this look like? Let's talk about a scenario. Hey, what do you need to believe and do? Because I want there to be action. I want you to be participatory. And I think that's the most healthy way when you're trying to start conversations. I would say this, Maddie Smith, play the long game with people. Play the long game with people. My father-in-law's um, brother, uh, Mike Butler, who's in heaven now, died November 12th. He prayed and fasted every Wednesday that Mike would come to faith. Mike said for 67 and a half years, that's for you, it's not for me. And in the last year and a half, as I said a couple weeks ago, Mike came to faith. So play the long game with people because aren't you thankful that your parents and your peers and your friends play the long game with you that once you do something stupid and you do something stupid all the time, as do I, people don't write you off. Play the long game with people, as does Jesus with us. All right. I'm gonna do it. I love tangible, tangible things. So yeah. something that they can like walk away with, or wrote it down, or write it down. Yeah, yeah, or type it in their phone, but not you because you're on yeah, camera. Yeah, don't do that. Um, what What is a question? Like, I'll get I'll give a question, and I'll give you time to think. But something that Ryan always talks about is. One, just like you said, being a conversationalist, and that's a two-way street, mm -hmm. right? Asking questions right. and then listening and then responding to what they've said, not waiting for the next question to ask, but just questions like, what do you believe? Because everybody believes in something. Even if they believe that nothing exists, they have a belief system. And so just sim that simple question, what do you believe, um, gets them talking about something that you don't, you don't even have to necessarily bring up Jesus. But eventually you'll talk about Jesus, right? If, if he is your savior. Um, do you have a question that is a good like conversation starter or? I don't. Because that was pretty good. The I really one I don't. just gave. I just, yeah, that was good. I would defer okay. to you. I, I, would just, I would just say everybody is looking for like a, a magic formula of how to engage and start. I would just, um, I would start. If you don't have lost friends that are in your concentric circle of your life, pray that God would provide lost friends and that you would love them, you would care for them and understand that lost people and de-church people and unchurched people act like de-church, unchurched, lost people and love them. And don't become so familiar with whose you are if you're a believer that you forget that it's God's supernatural work and mercy and grace in your life that you're a believer and love people well. I don't think the churches love people well where we share and we invite, but we don't do the hard work of sharing our lives with people. And Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, I love the fact that when I came to you, you believed in my words, not as my words, but as the words of God. And you have become, uh, I've, I've loved you so that I have become affectionately desirous of you to not only share the gospel with you, but my life as well. Who are you sharing your life with? It's like, you know, like airplane evangelism, you're sitting next to like, you're, you're like B, C, and they're like B, D, and like, here I am, I've got a 45-minute trip from Louisville to Chicago, i got to drop the Jesus bomb on them, you don't ever know, they're going to go to hell if I don't, maybe, <laughs> but more often than not, truth that transforms our lives, I mean, Jesus is like, I'm transforming your life, you're going to be, you're going to go from hell bound to heaven bound, that type of truth is in the context of a relationship, it's not a one-off on a Facebook post or a text. It, it's gritty. It's messy, right? And so. I know we're talking about conversations, which is a verbal mm -hmm. message, but I think too, and you, and you alluded to this earlier, when we model the life that God intends us to model, 
people are going to start asking us questions. And if you're talking about starting a conversation, sometimes um, that doesn't start with us. Sometimes we start by just modeling love and mercy and grace. And then someone's like, why enjoy? Why are you so joyful? This just happened. Why are you happy? You know, so good question, Maddie. Thank you. Nice response, Nate. Mm. Thank you. This Mm. is, I feel like, am I useless? Am I useless? It's okay. It's okay. All right. Next question. Okay. Good morning, guys. Thanks for coming. Um, My name is Hunter Webb. I'm a senior. Uh, my group leaders are Josiah, Brian, Jackson, and Mark. What, what? And uh, this question is a heater, so watch out. But uh, was Oof. Peter the first pope? No, next question. That was easy one. <laughs> um, uh, Matthew 16, 18. So this is what you're referencing, Hunter, is um, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So probably in the room, we've got people who are new, or you've been coming for a while, maybe you have a Catholic background, Catholic family and friends. We, you know, Southern Indiana and Louisville is a very predominantly Catholic area. So it's a it's a relevant question, an appropriate question. So here's what the Catholic church, church teaches. This is in their catechism, right? This is uh, different beliefs and doctrinal statements that are codified, written down. This is one that's written down about, about Peter, about what Hunter mentioned. Here's, here's what they say. The Lord made Simon alone, Peter, whom he named Peter, the rock of his church. He gave him the keys of his church and established him shepherd of the whole flock. When they put in that catechism that they gave Simon or Peter the keys of the church, what they're saying is they're give, they gave Jesus gave to Peter the authority to say who's in and who's out. And so uh, the Catholic Church teaches that Peter was given special authority as the first pope and that authority is passed down through popes and various church and spiritual leaders. When you look at that passage in its context, right, context is king. When you're reading the Bible, you want to know what, what's the author saying, what's the situation before, current, and after, who's the audience, why was this written? The passage is not about Peter, but it's about Jesus, and it's about a non-negotiable declaration about who Jesus is. So it's not about an infallible pope. The Catholic Church believes that the pope is infallible, and when he does a thing called ex cathedra, he can actually speak in an infallible manner where whatever he says is actually perfect and true, as if God was speaking himself. It's only happened a couple of times, by the way, in the history of the Catholic Church. But it's not about an infallible pope. It's about a mission that's invincible, which is why Jesus says the gates of Hades are not going to be able to overpower the church. There's going to be increasing hostility against Jesus and the church, but however Christianity is attacked, that the gate of Hades is never going to extinguish the light of Jesus, and you cannot stop people who declare Jesus Lord. So it is right, Hunter. He is saying, I'm going to build my church upon the rock, Peter, elsewhere, we have in the book of Ephesians that the apostles and the prophets are called the foundation of the church. So we build upon the foundation that the apostles laid. We don't build upon any other foundation, 1 Corinthians 3.11, but it's not talking about Peter as the first pope. Um, we don't think authority is passed down through various popes. So, um, yeah, that's I all I got. any notes on that. I would have said Google. Google. Go I would have said Google. Google. Yeah, Google. Thanks, Nate. No, thank you, Jenny. All right. 
Next question. These I are really good. I hope this is the question that I've already got next. We'll see. We'll see. Mm. Hi, thank you all for coming. I'm so excited to be a part of this. My name is McKenna. I'm in ninth grade. Shout out to my small group leaders, Maddie, Taylor, and Angela. What? what? Um, my question is, if God is always with us and never leaves us, why does he always allow us to feel lonely? Okay. Why does he always Not allow always. us? Sorry. Yep, you're right. I was correcting <laughs> you. So why does he at times allow us to feel lonely? So I wish, I wish everybody who's going to watch this could hear you participate and respond to what I'm going to ask. So maybe maybe raise your hand, okay? We'll, we'll see how this works. Um, why, why do we feel lonely at times? Okay, and by the way, I know that a lot of you do. Like I walk into a room at times and I'm pretty gregarious, extroverted, but there's times I feel intensely lonely. You're like, how can you feel lonely? You're gonna, you're, you, you, people know you, you're, you're charming, you're handsome, <laughs> you're humble. Um, how, I, I, feel, I feel lonely at times with all the, all the relationships that I have. So I know, it's, I know it plagues student culture, but why do we feel lonely? So raise your hand. Why, why would we feel lonely? Any responses? That's what yeah. he wanted you. There we go. And just one word answers, not long answers. Why would we feel lonely? You don't see your friends. You're isolated. So isolation, yeah. Fearing judgment. Okay. Going through hardships. Okay, not having deeper conversation. Superficial, surface level conversation. McKenna. Struggling with identity. That's great. Anything else? No one with similar interests. You feel like nobody can identify with what's going on. Yeah, here, here's those are all great. Here's some other ones. Why we feel lonely. Cultural issues. Culture hates the church, hates Jesus, hates truth, hates what you believe. And it's coming, by the way, if you have a biblical view of the world, which means you have a biblical view of sexuality, uh, they're going to hate you even more. So cultural issues. Family dysfunction, okay? Any dysfunction going on in your family? Got some in my family. Uh, relationships gone awry. Physiological issues going on in your body. Sin outside of us and sin inside of us. Um, all of that and more contributes to loneliness. And I think perhaps, McKenna, God allows us to feel lonely, to expose the fact that we're pursuing all types of things and persons and ambitions that we think are going to fill us up and bring satisfaction at the end of the day. They're good gifts and they might be right and appropriate, but if we've elevated those things to a degree that they should not be, we will always be disappointed. Sin, and not that those things are, but when we elevate those things, it always promises much, but it delivers very little. Delivers a lot, but it, it promises a lot, but it delivers very little. So I'm going to answer that question. But I want to, one more thing. And I'm not hating on you here, okay? My kids, Lucy is going to be 13 in a couple of weeks. Lydia, I think is 11 and a half. I think that's right. Samuel just turned 10. And LJ, I'm not really sure how old she is. Um, I think she's four and a half. And Lucy, Lucian and Lydia, they, they, want, they want phones for Christmas. And, and they're not going to get phones, okay? So, so yeah, I know, savage. And... Um, and here's why. And I'm, again, I'm not hating on you, but I want to ask a question. Why in the world 
would you expect to feel close to God and have his presence palpable or tangible in your life when you're so consumed with texting and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and on and on and on. When you scroll and you like, you get the retweet, you get the comment, you get the share, and, and like a little dopamine hits, and oh, so awesome, I had like 37 people like it, and like 412 people liked my video, and they shared it, and 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 you get that little hit, and you're the product, by the way. The product is not the phone. You are the product. Like they are working us over, and you get off that high, and you come down. Like it just, it promises much, but delivers very little. Why in the world would a Christian subculture teens feel as if God is close when the habits of your life don't communicate that you actually want the closeness of God. Does that make sense? Is that fair? You should not expect to feel close to God. You shouldn't expect to feel his presence when everything in your life communicates that he's not an ambition and a delight of your life. Guys, gals, to come to Graceland, whether you watch it online or in person, and to maybe bring your Bible, whether your phone or a hard copy of God's Word, and to maybe listen minimally, attentively to what Pastor David preached this morning, which was a good sermon, and to maybe think about what Erin Gann's talking about in her student ministry on Sunday morning, and to possibly maybe pick up the Bible, you should feel lonely. You, and, and, then, and then you have the most important relationship that you don't give attention to. And then you think about physiological issues and family dysfunction and struggles and identity and sin outside of us and sin inside of us. And I think a lot of our loneliness is brought on by our own, our own actions. And I'll just, and I'm going to go first, right? So I'm, I'm going to transition into lead pastor. As, and, and Jenny mentioned this earlier, super grateful and thankful for Larry. Um, as I'm transitioning into the lead pastoral, one of the things that I've realized, I have to have better spiritual rhythms of intimacy with Jesus. Like, I feel like my spiritual life is waning and languishing at times because there's days where like, I, I didn't get in the Bible and I didn't, I didn't listen to the Father. I didn't confess sin. I haven't really, I haven't sensed God speaking to me through his word. And, and so I've got to, for the, for the sake of my own soul and marriage and family and the longevity of Graceland, I want to be here a long time. I need to have more healthy spiritual rhythms. So ever since like the digital age, which was um, really 2007, was when like Twitter and Facebook and the iPhone came out. 2000, in the year 2000, do you know what our, our attention span was in 2000? It was... It was um it was twelve seconds. Twelve seconds. Our attention span. Like think about twelve seconds. It'd be kind of awkward if we had twelve seconds of silence, so I won't do that. Right. <laughs> um after the digital age, our attention span is eight seconds. Do you know what the attention span of a goldfish is? Nine seconds. The goldfish are kicking your tail, Caleb Roy. Okay. <laughs> and part of that is that we're so distracted and so consumed by hurry that we don't slow down and pay attention to our souls. All right, so why does God allow us to feel lonely at times? I would say he allows us to kind of get our attention and to expose what we've been pursuing that will always lead us empty. I would say this, if you're a believer in Jesus, who is housed within you? Holy the Holy Spirit. I mean, 
the Holy Spirit. How does like God fit inside you? I don't know. Ask Cameron Fathauer, okay? <laughs> um, but God lives in you. God lives in you. And, and Titus 1-2, Numbers 23-19 says, God does not lie like we do. <laughs> like, have you lied this past week? Raise your hand. Oh, y'all raise your hand. Like, and God's not like us, right? He, he doesn't lie. So when he says something, you get take it to the bank. And when he says, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you, I do think, McKenna, a lot of what you guys responded with, identity, friendships, community, um, I think friendships are such a valuable gift that if you don't have them, good godly friends, like good God. And I hope that you find them here. I hope you find good godly friends because they have been life-giving for me in times where I've been depressed and lonely. The first two years I was at Graceland, I was depressed and lonely. Like you didn't know it because I didn't, I didn't have close, good, close friends like that we would do life together. And now that I'm full-time, I give my attention full-time to the church. I have an opportunity to lean in and let people lean into me. And friends have been life-giving for my soul. Yeah. I was long. It was long, Sorry. but I want to, you know, if you're listening or if you're here and you just started listening to the podcast, we have two episodes I want to draw your attention to. The first one you were a guest on, episode nine. You have to go way back. I think we might have actually recorded that in this room. It's managing emotions, yeah. that we have them, that God gave them to us. Um, and and so, your emotions yeah. come from your thoughts. Yeah. So when you feel things, it's like it comes from your thoughts. Or th thoughts and actions come from your emotions. So you're emotional beings. So yeah. you need to pay attention to what's going on in your heart. Yeah. yeah. And then episode 20 was our first mental health episode on loneliness uh, with Bethel, uh, one of our soul care providers. That's great. And just how interesting it was that, you know, when you think of being lonely, being alone, yet everybody in this room has felt or does feel alone. So it's ironic that we're all together in our loneliness. But, mm. you know, what I hear is that not to idolize our friendships and our relationships with anyone other than God. Yeah. And um, that we were meant for companionship. So if you're if you're isolating, if you are isolating, we're not meant to do that. We're right. meant to be in community, even if community is difficult. So yeah, thank you for that. No, All right, I think you. we have time for one more. Uh, so head on up there, uh, unless Nate just brings it real quick. And we I'm going to bring it real quick because I want. Hopefully, there's another question that I want to answer. <laughs> okay. But. Alrighty, my name is Mason Smithson. I'm in 11th grade, and uh, quick shout out to Cameron again, great small group leader, <laughs> best one. Um, also, shout out to Justin and Dylan. Thank you for putting this together. It's yes, really fun. That's right. And uh, my question is, how do you know if what you want to do is God's plan? Great question. I love this question. I love this question too. We can. So, just how do you know God's will? Okay, read the Bible. Okay. <laughs> I'm sensing a thing. I'm here. like, yeah, like, so okay. I want God to speak to me. Read the Bible. Well, I want him to speak out loud. Read the Bible out loud. Okay. <laughs> so, so he, he speaks to us through the Bible. How else? Prayer. Okay. Listening to the Father, right? Talking to him. How else? Godly counsel, right? Godly counsel. How else? Okay. Prayer. I'm going to put that in with prayer. Okay, take it easy. Don't be so sensitive. Okay. Um, I would say desires of our heart. Delight yourself and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You have not because you've asked, asked not. And how else? Sends people to you. So godly counsel. Are you paying attention? Okay. Okay. And then I would say open doors. 
Okay, so let me give Nobody an example. Nobody had that answer, by the way. I know, way. but let I me mean, give an example. He set you up to fail. I did. I, just I set want you up to know. fail. Okay. Here, when I was a college pastor, I had <laughs> this is hilarious. It's a true story. One of my college students said, "Hey, I think," and I'm just going to pretend like it's you. Um, he said, "Hey, I think Rachel's my wife. Like, I'm going to marry Rachel." I was like, okay, well, let's just, let's take it through the the grid of understanding God's will. Is it a good thing to, de- to desire to be married? That's a good thing. Bible, check. Do you desire to be married? Yes. Check. Are you praying about it? I'm praying about it, and I think it's Rachel. She's my wife. Okay, check. Godly counsel. I'm talking to you, Pastor. I'm talking to my friends. Go for it. Check. He goes to Rachel. God has told me. You're it. She's like, not a chance in Hades. That is not God's will, right? Because there was not an open door. Okay, so oftentimes we think of God's will and desire as a bullseye when really I think what we should think of is like it's anywhere on the map at times. Now, I know when we look back and we look at our life, the bullseye is actually what we did. But God's given you Romans 2, a moral compass that can be seared, meaning it can it can be subdued and not as... Um, um, alert in your life if you're not walking with Jesus so your moral compass can be skewed, but he's given you a moral compass, a commonsensicalness about looking at life. He's given you the Bible. He's given us prayer. He's given us desires. He's given us godly counsel and he's given us open doors. How do I know if he wants me to go to UK or U of L? That would be an easy choice, but let's just, it, it could be, it could be either financial stewardship. What do your parents say? Did you get scholarship? Do they have your major? Uh, there's all sorts of things. So it's not some like mysterious, ethereal, God's who else, I got to go hunt and find it. Like he's told us so many things right here. Should I have sex with my boyfriend? No. Right there in the Bible. That's God's will. Should I bring things into my body that alter my state of mind? No. Should I disrespect and not listen to my parents when they give me good godly wisdom? No, like there's some things right now, like there's there's God's will. But there's a lot of other things that aren't as clear. And if you want to be a Christian that walks in victory and navigates life in a winsome fashion, you need to understand that so much of life is not black and white. You need to be a person of wisdom, which comes from availing yourself of walking with Jesus, who is wisdom personified. So let's go to the next question. I, I want to, can no, we hang out? We're, yes, I know, okay. we'll, we'll go to the next one, I promise. Okay, let's do but it. I, here, you, I meant to say this earlier when the cameras were off, but I think it's appropriate. Um, one thing I thought was cool as you prepared for these, because we cheated, Nate got these questions in advance. Don't tell Sorry, him I know that he can crap. cut it out. He can cut it out. Dylan can cut okay. it out. But, but you want to know what I think. Yeah, thank you. Uh, what I think is really cool about him preparing for your all's questions, his uh, test key, his key, is the same one that you guys have. Hmm. He 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 opened his Bible. Now his brain's a little different. His brains are really different, but he has the same information available to him as as we all do. And I'm, I find that encouraging in myself because I'm not half the theologian that you are. Not I a quarter. You're like half the man I am. I was I'm like, not well, half yeah, the man you are. Yeah, I'm right. not that either. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, and also on the godly on the godly counsel part, um, I love this saying if. If you are the wisest person in all of the rooms where you are, if you're the wisest of all your friends, if you find yourself hanging out with a bunch of people and you are the wisest person in the room all the time, how can you find godly counsel? You've got to surround yourself. I'm not saying drop all your dumb friends, right? I'm not saying that at all. (laughs) 
Uh, but what I'm, what I'm saying is surround yourself, find somebody who can speak into you, um, who can speak life, who can, who has, you know, the fear of God. That's, that's where we get our wisdom. We ask for it. So I love that answer. I wish we could sit yeah. on it a little bit mm-hmm. longer, but you want this last one asked. Yeah, I think it's a good so question. The la- yes, yes, yep. Yeah, yes. Are we, we are sure we're going to roll right through it. He's excited. He saved All the best right. for last. Are you sure? Okay. Uh, my name's Ari. I'm in 11th grade. Thanks to Rachel and Kai for being great group leaders. And my question is, how has the gospel impacted your life personally? That's great. I love it. I was really excited about this question. So Philippians chapter 2, let me read this for 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Who's the him? Jesus. Okay. Jesus. Jesus. You're killing it. You're doing awesome. <laughs> Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The him is who? Jesus. Jesus. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Revelation chapter 1, verses uh, 14 through 16 says this. Um, let me get there real quick. Awkward lull on the podcast. Um, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his faith was like the sun shining in full strength. This Jesus is so remarkably resplendent, magnificent, amazing, glorious, that the words of Paul and John pale to grasp how amazing Jesus is, how amazing he is. I live with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. I'm constantly feeling like I got to measure up. And I don't want to get emotional, but like, have have you sinned this past week? Yeah, I've sinned this past week. Have you sinned the past day? Have you sinned in the in the last couple hours? You're like, I've been listening to you. Like, hopefully, hopefully not. Okay. <laughs> um, I think in my heart at times, Jesus plugs his nose because when he gets close to me, I'm a filthy sinner and I stink. When in reality, what he does is that he moves towards me in my struggle. He delights in moving towards me. So let me give you an illustration. This is from a great book, Gentle and Lonely. Right? You got a you got a doctor who is going to fund this um, medical campaign to go into the deep jungle where there is this tribe that has this contagious disease that if somebody does not intervene, they are going to perish. Okay. So she has all the medical equipment, all the antibiotics flown in. She's there. She set up camp. She has the tribe's men and the tribe's women come. And and rather than partake of the medicine and the antibiotics that will heal them, um, they say, we want to heal ourselves. We don't want your antibiotics. We don't want your medicine. We don't want your intervention. Finally, a few brave souls step up and they partake of the medicine, they partake of the antibiotics, and and they are healed. How does the doctor feel? Good, joyful, delight, happy. Why? Because you're partaking 
of what he offers, of what she offers. Jesus delights in leaning into the throes of brokenness and our suffering and our struggles with sexual sin and depression and anxiety and lust and anger and jealousy and contempt and comparison and sense of loneliness. He, he delights in leaning in and meeting you where you are. How is the gospel shaping me? I'm learning that Jesus delights in me, not just when I get things right, but he delights when I get it wrong. He finds great joy and happiness. So he does not recoil at you and snub his nose when you jack up and when you're hypocritical and when you're rebellious. He leans in and that's his posture. And I'm learning that as a 41-year-old man in a way that I've not learned in years past. So I hope that encourages you. I love that. Well, I've been encouraged. This was quite an experience. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your um, preparation for this. Thank you to our youth, our leaders, um, for just sharing this experience with us. Um, We hope that you and and your family, listen, if you are listening uh, and you have a teen in your life, whether it's a child, a grandchild, a neighbor, and you want to know some questions that that teens are asking these days, share this podcast with them. Uh, Save it, like it. Whatever you, whatever you do to make the little buttons fly in the air, right? <laughs> do that. Um, we're, we're happy to end our 2021 year uh, with this experience. We look, I, I, unless Dylan says it went terribly wrong, I hope to do this again. Um, I was encouraged by it. And um, until next time in 2022, we'll be back mid-January. Take care.